0: Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Welcome to this week's episode of the Prestige a podcast about films made for people who love films by people who love films. We focus on a different film each week and we spend time going in depth into the, some of the themes and ideas behind that film. I'm Sam, I'm teacher, an academic, writer and I've lectured in universities, taught in schools and I currently work in a sixth form college and he is Rob. He's a podcaster, an editor, an author and one of his many careers saw him spend quite some time in the movie business. So he knows how things are supposed to work practically and I have the more Theoretical view of things, and like I said, we take an individual film to look at each week and we break it down and think about it often in terms of a particular genre or subgenre that we're looking at from season to season, and we're going ahead with our final genre of this season, which is. Um, Disney animations and their live action adaptations and there have been some significant live um, live action and other adaptations in recent years, reboots of Disney franchises so we thought we'd give that a go. More on that later. Firstly we tend to end each episode with some recommendations based on the film of each week a film each week and start with um, Something about what else we've been watching. So, Rob, what else has caught your eye recently?
1: In our classic move of picking up shows that are really good that everyone watched ages ago, I have been watching The Mandalorian, which came out last year and people raved about it. And I watched the pilot and never really got on board with it. And... The outpouring of love for season two, maybe go back and pick it up. And in the last, I don't know, two weeks, I have literally blasted through the whole show up until date. It's only 13 episodes, but I have caught up with it. And it's very, very good. Um, it is Star Wars, so you've got to like Star Wars to like it. I think it leans sometimes a little too heavily on too much lore of the larger Star Wars world. But for a show that has a main character who wears a mask the entire show, it's very, very good. He has got a great expressionistic way of performing with his body um, and the odd head tilt here and there expresses so much as you'd normally get from a facial expression. And it looks great and it's clearly made with love. And I think I've been quite vocal about my misgivings and my disappointment with the modern trilogy. I wasn't very keen on those overall, and this is a welcome return to form of the uh, nuts and bolts and the grime of Star Wars. It doesn't need me shouting its praises, but it is what has consumed most of my watching time in the last two weeks. What about you?
0: I have seen a couple of films from this year, um, a couple of films which are released on Netflix because for obvious reasons there aren't. So many cinema releases this year um, first of these I suppose rather more serious um, In tone is the latest Spike Lee joint To use his phrase um, It's Defied Bloods And it's based on the story of um, Five and then four African American soldiers And their time in Vietnam and the time returning to Vietnam to um, recover the remains of a fallen comrade. And it is particularly poignant because it's the last film that Chadwick Boseman made. And it's based, the, the whole plot is based around this team leader who is an iconic central figure for them and who dies and they have to go and recover his remains as um, men in their 60s and 70s. And there are scenes, the squad leader is played by Charlie Bozeman there are scenes with him and the 70-year-olds remembering this scene as it took place in the 1970s, um, late 1960s. It's, it's brilliant. It's not as good as Do the Right Thing, but few things are. Um, and yes I think it's particularly important because it's the last film that Chadwick Boseman made but it's also it's it's more than that it's better than that um, and it's not a particularly easy watch but it says lots of very interesting things politically and um, it ties into all sorts of debates about Black Lives Matter and what prominent black figures in America in the 1960s was saying about the Vietnam War. So, well worth watching, The Five Bloods from 2020. And sublime to ridiculous. Another film from 2020 is the film Enola Holmes. And that wasn't pulling up any trees, but it was really good fun. It was um, Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things, Gave a brilliant acting performance, and it was just a nice little throwaway, ephemeral thing to watch if you just needed some downtime. So yeah, two things: one thing for if you're feeling in a stern mood and want to watch something serious, and something that's entirely throwaway, and it's just just enjoyable.
1: Great, I've. I must confess I have watched half of Nola Holmes. Um, we watched half, and when we came back to the second day, we just never felt it, and it's, it's, they're languishing ever since. I'm sure I will get round to it at some point, but uh, too many Netflix films I've watched the first half of, I must say.
0: It's not, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's definitely worth your time to go back to it and, and watch that the second half, because it is, it's just just a popcorn film. Hmm. but if if you've got a time to sit down and watch it in one go then go for it
1: as Sam said we are entering our final mini season within our current season of the show and we are looking at live action adaptations of animated Disney films and the way we we'll are going to be working this guys is doing one week we'll look at the original animation and the following week we'll look at the live action remake and we are starting with the 1967 film The Jungle Book.
2: It's been a long time in coming, but now, after four years, the announcement can be made. Walt Disney's most entertaining triumph in the art of animation is here. Doobie, 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 dee-doo. Well, it's a doobie-dee-doo. Yes, it's a do ba dee doo Well, now, uh, ha, ha, what have we here? It's Walt Disney's The Jungle Book. Look for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your stress. Yes, The Jungle Book, a new departure in contemporary entertainment. Kid, we've got to get to a tree. This calls for some big scratches.
0: <laughs> of wood,
2: A boisterous musical comedy version of Rudyard Kipling's familiar stories about the boy Mowgli and his encounters with human nature in the jungle. There's the devious Ka. Trust in me. Just in me. And the envious Louie, King of the Apes. Oh. I wanna be like you, I wanna walk like you, talk like you, Cheap-choo. the dawn patrol, oh the aim of our patrol, is the question rather droll, and the pompous Colonel Huttie, a dusty muzzle, soldier, that haircut is not regulation, rather on the gaudy side don't you think, Ah. That's better. Then there's the jungle's fair-weather friends.
0: We've never met an animal we didn't
2: like. <laughs> and the treacherous Sher Khan. Boo. <laughs> Let's get out of- run, friend, run! No, only run, Mowgli, <laughs> run! A man-cub in the jungle. And all he has on his side are two real friends. The man-cub's jungle guardians. Oh, no! Baloo. Are you kidding? There's teeth in the other end. Baloo and Bagheera, two wonderful characters destined to become comedy immortals. Fire. So that's what that scoundrel's after. Yeah. Well, man, what a beat. Will you stop that silly beat business and listen? This will take brains, not brawn. You better believe it, and I'm loaded with both. Zap want rone, to be like you bones, Thirty years, there's never been a more entertaining achievement in the art of animation. Learn to be like someone
1: Jungle Book is the nineteenth Disney animation film. It is a animated version of the 1894 Roger Kipling book of the same name it tells the tale of Mowgli a young man cub as he's called an abandoned baby in the jungles of India who is raised by the wolves and then goes on to meet a so a parade of different animals throughout the jungle from elephants to tigers to monkeys to snakes and the amorphatized personalities they've given um, it is in many ways a classic movie it's one that I certainly saw in my childhood and I imagine Sam did too mm. I haven't returned to it probably since my childhood um, just because it's not one that I've sought out and my daughter isn't quite old enough yet to watch it or interested enough to watch it Sam how was it for you
0: Now, I was obsessed with this film as a kid, but it has been a good 25, 30 years since I saw this. Um, So much so that, I mean, I used to love it. We had the soundtrack on tape in the car. Go ask your parents what the tape is. Um, And I found myself watching this film, knowing what was coming up, I used to know it inside out um, So from that From that point of view It was, it was well trodden ground um, It was interesting Going back to it Many years later though With the hindsight of All the All the animation I've become used to And CGI and other things And this feels really flat But one one of the things that I thought I'd, as well as it being particularly flat animation-wise, one of the things that drew me to it was the fact that certain characters are presented like sketches. And it feels like the animator leaning into the extent to which this is such a flat animation at times, because, I mean, there's something... So with modern animations, CGI and 3D things, things can feel polished. It's kind of what you're talking about with Star Wars and griminess. That there feels like there's something real about this. The way that King Louis is drawn, the way that Hathi is drawn, it just feels it. it feels like you can see the storyboard. You can see the reality of this. In a way that you just don't get with modern animation.
1: There is a a roughness to it that I think it really really helps sell it, and it has that. I don't know. I mean, Sam and I are dads of young kids. We watch a lot of animation, um, and sometimes it can feel too, I suppose, empty. Um, I'm thinking currently about my daughter's obsession with Paw Patrol, which is a brilliant show, but the world they live in is. Empty, like is a sudden. The hill is just plain green. The road is just plain grey. And outside of the building, that interacting with it's just expanse of nothingness. This felt lived in and real, and the locations felt busy. They felt busy in a way that made it feel like there was really happening. And it wasn't like this world was created for this story. It had this feeling the world was there already. And I think, I mean, if we're looking to sort of uh, for intent here, I mean, that's got to play into the story here. Mowgli, I mean, the the story is not his being raised by the wolves, the story of the movie is him being sent away from the wolves and traveling through the jungle to eventually find his way back to a village. Yeah it's about him discovering this world as much as anything else. And so the fact that the world feels by its very design already there, it feels like he's discovering it and we are as well. It exists before him and after him. And that, that, that helps with that. If this was, you know, in that kind of TV animation style where the thing you're seeing is all exists in the world, it's never going to have that same feeling of wholeness of reality. Because you know it's being conjured for him; it exists only in the ephemeral moment that he's there.
0: Mm.
1: Whereas this doesn't have it; this has a real feeling of if you turned left rather than right, there's a whole other world there.
0: Yes, yeah, and I and I think it's it greatly benefits from that, and you can feel that this is about exploration from him, and he could go anywhere. Even though, even though I know exactly where this film is going, like you said, he could turn left and go somewhere different.
1: Mm. It has that feeling to it. Mm. Yeah, because um, I think the film is the film's deeper than I thought it was. If that makes sense. So I haven't seen this film in I don't know, let's say thirty years, um, something like that. Happened in this film, in. and. There's a lot more in it about family and about who your family are and responsibility for somebody in it, like the kind of the adoption that the wolves and Baloo and Balgeera take to Mowgli and his acceptance of them as parental standings. Mm. Um, and the film is very good at, like, the relationship you, that you get between particularly Baloo, Baloo and Mowgli, it really sells it so well. And you really feel this deep connection to the point where Baloo will fight a tiger for this kid. Mm. And, you know, obviously, we know with our adult hats on that um these animals are not this humanised. They're not this unorthodox. They would not do these things for an animal. Like, they, these aren't true stories. But the film does a lovely job of making them still an animal and at the same time as being a human. Mm. Baloo is as much a lovable oaf that we've seen in thousands of comedies as he is a bear. And Khan is as much a violent English psychopath as he is a tiger. Mm. Um, and it fuses those things very well so that you have these family dynamics that they set up with the between the different animals and Mowgli. Like, you believe them because you believe that Baloo is not as much human, but can have the same kind of humanistic reactions to Mowgli that we do. Like, he's a, a kid's alone in jungle. Like, you're gonna care for him. And the film, by making them animalistic enough, but humanistic enough at the same time,
0: sells that. Thinking about that, I was thinking. The moment that really gets to me and it stuck with me when I watched it the first time and now I realise why it did was when um, Baloo and Bagheera persuades Baloo that this is the right thing to do. He has to persuade Mowgli to go back to the man village and he does it even though he doesn't want to do it. And think when I first saw it, it was just, well, I kind of had this this idea at the back of my head that this is sort of an idea about narrative arc. It sounds a pompous way of putting it, but as a kid, I kind of felt that I knew where the film was going, so that's what had to happen. But now, I think there's something much more poignant about it because this is actually what a parent would do and Mm. a parent would love a child and know that they had to do a certain thing even though they didn't want to do it and as a parent you didn't want them to do it and Baloo has got the experience of being the fun dad and then he comes to this decision through Bagheera that he's got to because he loves Mowgli so much he's got to make him do this thing that neither, neither of them want to do I think well that that stayed with me and now I know why that's staying with me
1: I think it was there was a strange sort of moment not of dissonance but of distance with watching this was growing up like you identify with Mowgli because he's the kid and you're the kid mm. But this time I really felt much more on the side of Balgera and Balgera and Baloo. Like those yes. are the people I, like yes. because, you know, I'm older, I'm a dad now, like I viewed as, you know, it's a running joke across a lot of military that as soon as you have a kid, you can't you all you see everything through the lens of being a dad. Like that's how you see the world suddenly because you cut everything isn't that you know like I'm to admit that my taste for horror films has gone down a little bit since having a kid, especially if that features child death. Cause I just I can't get past it quite. Yet. Like yeah. it changes you. And this I really felt it. I like I felt that kind of paternalness that Baloo has and the paternalness that it has, and you see through very quickly the fake paternalness of something like King Louis,
0: yeah.
1: Um and it's a very different kind of experience watching it as a as a grown adult, but you do start to see the other side of the story.
0: Mm, yeah, I do have to say, like Shikon is just a brilliant character, and I think that's something else that's come with age. Not it's not just the no longer siding with Motley and starting to empathise with Big Ear and Blue, but you also Start to engage more with the other grown-up characters, and I found myself siding more with Shere Khan here mm. than I did before.
1: Well, I'm not sure you admit that on radio. I mean, he's yeah. a violent killer.
0: <laughs> no, you, you can see see where he's coming from, and you can see that you can see that the lore of the jungle and nature red and tooth and claw and he's just doing what is natural to him even though i mean okay if you take him as a violent psychopath and you think of him as anthropomorphized then maybe not to solve him but if you think of him as a tiger that's what a tiger has to do so i have a certain amount of sympathy fit with him for that
1: i do see you saying that i mean I, I i make light of it but like Belga- no, but Behira says, you know, he he will kill Mowgli to stop him growing up and having guns and fire. Mm. And there is a an imperialistic view there. that, that There is a part of, sort of the British imperialism of of these people will grow up to be this, so I must deal with them when they're children. But as a tiger, you can understand that. Like the tigers are hunted, especially in India and in the Raj. Like they hunted tigers, yeah. so I can understand why the prey. Because that's the only thing to remember is that in this, or yes, he's the predator and Mowgli is the prey, but outside of that relationship, the tiger is the prey to humanity. Yeah. We have killed them, we've mounted them, we've eaten them. Like, they are that prey. And so you can understand where he's coming from. Um, it wouldn't I mean, this is where me I might kind of poke you a little bit to, to take a lead, but the film is set in India. Mm. The film is set and written by an Englishman in India. Yeah, and it comes with certain I suppose colonialist overtones. Yeah, by the very nature of existence. Um, now, I that, that listener Sam did a lot of work and research on postcolonialism as part of his uh, many degrees. So, in through that lens, how was it? How did you view it? I suppose
0: it's interesting. I had not thought about it in that way, but. Because I, I tend to view it as sort of like in a time capsule, a piece from my childhood. Mm-hmm. And you, you're totally right that I should be seeing it like that. Um, and there are all sorts of stereotypes here. Uh, I'm think, thinking of, of particularly colonial stereotypes. Ken Mahathi is a military stereotype. Um, then you also have um, the native, quote-unquote, stereotypes of mm. um, Baloo Bagheera, um or indeed Mowgli himself. Um, I, I tend to view this as, I mean, given that it was made in 1967 and also it's based on a book from the previous century, I tend to view this as remarkably benevolent I mean, it, mm-hmm. it does have i mean there are certain things you could say about the attitudes to other people um and the attitude of english colonialists. but i i what what i see looking at this is something that's remarkably um harmless if anything is it's about this period
1: well i i um, great i mean I, I say for me i mean i'm I've I've worked in India for a little bit, but I've never studied it in that kind of way. Um, But it was, I felt the influence of it more. I mean, as you say, like, you you view this film differently, being older than younger. And I certainly thought that was in the back of my mind, Um, especially because I watch it on Disney Plus, the service I've got currently. Mm -hmm. And there was a content warning at the start, which is the first time I've seen that on Disney Plus, which did warn me that some of the depictions and opinions portrayed in the movie were of their time, they're wrong now and they're wrong then, that kind of thing but it came with a warning of outdated depictions of race which I thought was a very interesting and, and new thing that I'm trying to see Oh
0: right. well I wish I'm Disney as well, I'm obviously not as observant as you No,
1: I know next week we are moving on to the remake of this, so that's the very obvious sort of connection, but do you have some further reading or watching for us?
0: Yes, I've been thinking of films of this era well I suppose a few years before this and just after this um, thinking about the style of animation and the, the the particularly drawn way that I was talking about some of the grimer aspects of the animation so I was looking at other um, animated films of this time and it's no surprise that the voice actors involved um, also take roles in these um, the first of them is directed is directed by the same director um, it's for a few years after this it's Robin Hood um, which stars um, in particular Phil Harris who is the voice actor Blue here um, and he plays Little John. Um, Phil Harris is an interesting character. Look at the ages of some of the people involved. He was significantly older than some of them, so I wonder how that dynamic worked. Um, My second recommendation is a little bit before this, but same sort of era of animation from the decade before, um, which also stars Serling Holloway, the English actor who played Carr it's 1951's Alice in Wonderland mm. Sterling Holloway was the Cheshire fan that so I I enjoyed that I don't necessarily want to go back and watch it again um, but it, it, it was a semi a period piece that I think everyone should have seen
1: So I've gone in a slightly different direction from mine not entirely so Sheer Khan we've talked about him um a lot during this show, and the he was played by an actor called George Saunders, um, who popped up in a movie from about six-seven years before, uh, called The Village of the Damned, um, which is a demonic horror movie in the same sort of vein as multiple horror movies of I've seen about a village where all the women come pregnant and all the children have freaky blonde hair, eyes, and possibly psychic, possibly evil. Um, it's a good 60s horror movie, um, and he plays the lead in it, and he's very good in it, and it's a lot of fun to watch. My second recommendation is a little bit more thematic. Now, this is a thought I had that I haven't really talked about much during now, is that, in many ways, The Jungle Book is a road trip movie. It is... he... Goes on this journey through the jungle and meets people along the way and has, into, has adventures with them, some good, some bad. But it is that kind of serial kind of journey you get with modern road trip movies. Where two buddies go on a trip somewhere. This is walking, but it has that same kind of vibe. And I may talk about it ne- more next episode when we watch the remake, see if it's brought up a bit more there. But I've really sort of started to see the echoes and sort of the first stirrings of this kind of genre of road trip movies. And so I felt I should recommend the obvious one to recommend, which is Road Trip. film from 2000, American sex road trip comedy movie. It's silly. It's a bit stupid. I'm pretty sure if I watch it now, large parts of it would be deeply problematic. Um, but I remember in the 2000s when I saw it, I may have think it was Sam at that point. It's that kind of era. It was just a lot of fun. Um, it was very silly, and it featured a lot of that kind of 90s um, comedy cast um, that haven't gone on to do loads of things but uh, it was a lot of fun at the time um, so yeah, those are my two Road Trip and The Village of the Damned
0: So as Rob said, we're moving on to the modern day um, live action remake of The Jungle Book um, from 2016, the John Favreau film and that's what we'll be looking at next time Until then, you can get in touch with both of us on Twitter at PrestigePodcast.
1: You can find me at KyjoFM.
0: And you can talk to just me, not on Twitter, but on email, send me an email at PrestigeFilmPodcast at gmail.com.
1: And we're back here in two weeks, guys, with Feeling Like Deja Vu with (laughs) The Jungle Book.